Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, The truth is that slavery played a significant part in our institutional history. The truth is that we must do what we can to address the persistent corrosive effects of historical practices on individuals, on Harvard, and on our society. That's Harvard President Lawrence Bacow. In April, Bacow was speaking about the recently published Harvard and the Legacy of Slavery report created over two and a half years by a presidential committee. What did the committee find? Harvard has clear historical ties to slavery. That included enslaved individuals on campus, funding from enslavers, and dozens of faculty, including past Harvard presidents who were enslavers themselves. This was back in the 18th century, but the commercial aspects of slavery is linked in multiple ways to today. To begin redressing the university's past involvement with slavery, Harvard has pledged $100 million to create a Legacy of Slavery Fund. Other universities, notably Brown, have also been engaged in the work of identifying ties to slavery and how the university benefited. So how will higher education continue to investigate its slavery-linked past? And will Harvard's admission move the conversation about higher education and systemic racism? Later in the show, you probably never heard of Quack Walker, but he could soon become a household name. Why a little-known black man from the 18th century could soon become honored with a state holiday. But first, joining me now, Ruth Simmons, president of Prairie View A&M University in Texas. Previously, Simmons served as president of Smith College in Massachusetts and of Brown University in Rhode Island, where she was the first black woman to preside over an Ivy League school. President Simmons began Brown's ongoing research and redress related to its ties to slavery. Welcome, Dr. Simmons. Thank you. Tamika Brown-Nagin, Dean of Harvard Radcliffe Institute, Professor of Constitutional Law at Harvard Law School, and Professor of History at Harvard University. In 2019, she was appointed chair of the Presidential Committee on Harvard and the Legacy of Slavery. Thanks for joining us, Dean Brown-Nagin. Hi, Kelly. Good to be with you. Good to have you. And also with me, Sven Beckert, Laird Bell Professor of History at Harvard University and Presidential Committee member. Hello. Good to be here. Glad to have you. Um, Ruth, I'm going to start with you. It was the work that you began doing at Brown now more than 15 years ago that kind of got the ball rolling in terms of universities looking more closely at their historical ties to slavery. And I was interested to learn that some of your movement to do that was inspired by Charles Ogletree's move in 2002 
when he set up a committee called the Reparations Coordinating Committee, got together a group of lawyers, academics, and public officials, and filed a series of class action lawsuits and said in filing that Brown, Harvard, and Yale were going to be probable targets later on, though his first lawsuits were against corporations. So after that probable targeting was made clear by Charles Ogletree and his committee, you went to work at Brown trying to figure out exactly what the ties were there. Please tell us about that. Well, as as most scholarship in universities begin, ours began with the question, a simple question. Um, are the allegations about Brown's entanglement with uh, the transatlantic slave trade correct or not? Everything we did initially to try to find the truth in that actually (laughs) was rebuffed because um, most of the history had been erased from the Brown official documents. And almost everybody we questioned about it said there was no such entanglement. And so we simply set out to provide a factual account of what actually transpired during the colonial era with regard to the, especially the founding of the university. Um, Our effort, I continue to say, was to really get to the truth and to tell the truth. And so that's where we began and that's where we finished. So Ruth, I don't think we can say enough in this moment about how, you know, what a bombshell this was when you came out and said, Brown is going to investigate its ties to slavery. So if you could go back to that time and really talk about why this was, you know, a big deal for a lot of universities, certainly, and others outside of the university sphere who just thought this was, you know, some kind of fantastical thing. Well, for so many, um, the whole idea of the nation's past with respect to slavery really should have been left to lie. Uh, And I mean that as a double entendre. And that is to say, um, as so many people have said, what is the problem that you people have? Why can't you just leave that alone? That's part of the past. So um, I think that it was a bombshell because of two reasons, frankly. The first was that to talk about truth and then to earnestly pursue it without the PR attached to it, that is so often a factor even today for universities when they do something, was uh, a bit uh, sobering for people. Secondly, the audacity of a black president posing this question um, was probably even more salient for people because um, as some uh, intimated, this was really all about my personal issues as a Black person. And so I think it was that double um, uh, aspect of it that created the brouhaha when we first started, uh, the fact that we would um, take this on as the third rail of uh, American uh, history, and secondly, that a Black person would, uh, would want to lead it. And I have to say that we shouldn't forget either that there was a malicious ad placed in the Brown Daily Herald suggesting that Blacks were very fortunate to have been enslaved. Mm. And that 
really got tremendous amount of attention across the country um, because people were piling in and one, at least one person was saying, what are you people complaining about? Slavery got you out of the dark continent and shouldn't you be happy with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so on. So I, I think it was just um, at that point in time, uh, very shocking to people that we would um, embrace the notion that the truth was something that we could in fact face up to. So Sven Beckert, years after Brown established the Brown University Steering Committee on Slavery and Justice, um, you were inspired by what was going on there, and you started a class at Harvard in 2007 with four Harvard undergraduates to actually do some research about Harvard's ties to slavery. Please talk about that. Right. So um, I think in the fall of 2006, I received received a copy of the Brown Report and Brown's Entanglement with Slavery. Uh, And when I was done reading the report, I wondered if there is not a similar story to be found about Harvard University. And I went to the library and I looked at the many books that have been published on Harvard's history. And I was struck by the fact that almost none of them mention slavery and certainly none of them mention slavery to any great extent. Uh, and at that point, I thought we should probably look into the history uh, of Harvard and its uh, entanglement with slavery as well. And as a history professor, I thought maybe the best way to do so would be just to teach a course and to ask our students to go to the archives and go to the libraries and see if they can disentangle some of that story. And I advertised this course in the summer of 2007. And as you mentioned, Uh, Just four Harvard undergraduates signed up for this course. And uh, when we started in September of 2007, it was the one time in my teaching career that I was just as ignorant about the subject of the course as my students, because as I mentioned, uh, very little had been published on this subject. And they began finding stories about Harvard's president bringing enslaved workers to, to the campus, They found evidence that enslaved workers uh, served our students. They found evidence that Harvard was, let's say, ambivalent about uh, having the topic of slavery being discussed on Harvard's campus. And then I taught this course many more times in the the years following 2007. And eventually, uh, a a pretty substantial picture emerged that was not just about enslaved people being forced to work on Harvard's campus to the benefit of Harvard's president's faculty and students, but we also found evidence of the deep entanglement, the financial entanglement of Harvard uh, with slavery in the Caribbean. And then later also in the American South, we found evidence about Harvard uh, having played a substantial role in the ideological uh, defense of slavery and the idea of racial difference. So kind of overwhelming uh, portrait of Harvard's entanglement with slavery emerged. But, uh, but when I thought about it later, I think what was perhaps most surprising was that we were surprised by our findings, because uh, certainly after the Brown Report, but certainly also considering all that we did know about the importance of slavery to the development of North America more broadly, and then the young United States suggested that it was more than likely that Harvard would have been involved in this institution as well. Harvard wouldn't be Harvard without the institution of slavery. Hmm. 
Tamiko, a couple of things. Um, I just want to underscore what both Sven and Ruth have said because there are people listening to this conversation who are going to who are trying to process two things. One, that there was slavery and enslaved people here above the Mason Dixon line. And two, that institutions of higher learning benefited greatly from the long legacy of ties to slavery. So those are two things that we have to underscore at this moment. Now, why is such a big discussion about Harvard and and Harvard's uh, recent report and Harvard's admission of its ties and, and what it's going to do. Well, I think we have to say that Harvard being the first institution of higher learning in the country founded in 1636, this is a very important institution. And, you know, what Harvard says, a lot of people pay attention to. And so I wonder, as chair of the Presidential Committee on Harvard and the Legacy of Slavery, how you came to the conclusions you came to in your report? And then how did you come to the $100 million figure specifically about how you will begin to use that money to redress some of the harm that was done because of Harvard's ties to slavery? Mm. Thank you, Kelly. Well, we came to the conclusion that we did, conclusions, I should say, through extensive research um, that built on the work of my colleague Sven Beckert and his students, and also, of course, the work of the committee that was established by President Simmons so many years ago, and as well as research that has been undertaken by several other prominent universities. So we knew the contours of the story, and the work of this committee was to publicly disseminate that research in a way that was accessible to the learned public um, and in a way that placed Harvard University, the nation's oldest institution of our education, within the context of the history of this country. And essentially the finding, Callie, is that slavery is foundational to this country and all that it became. And uh, as Sven said, although in some ways it's surprising to some to to know that slavery existed in the North, it shouldn't be surprising at all. The fact that for some it is surprising just suggests how much work needs to be done to insist that everyone appreciates the the full scope of the history and also how false narratives can become entrenched in the way in which we talk about history. And so I'm really pleased that we as a committee, as a university, took the step of releasing these findings in a fashion that is readily available to people on and off campus who are interested in knowing the truth. In terms of the figure that you mentioned, um, it is not a figure that I or, or the committee even came up with. It reflects a historic commitment made by the president of our university and the Harvard Corporation that is befitting Harvard. You know, Harvard is, is a leader in higher education, and the amount that was established, the Harvard and Legacy of Slavery Fund, uh, reflects a significant commitment to um, doing work to redress uh, the damage of, of slavery in this country and in Caribbean 
uh, nations and uh, to, to do it in perpetuity. So it's, a, it's an endowed fund in part, and that will allow successive generations of leaders, of presidents um, to, to do this important work. So what has been announced about what Harvard will do with $100 million is improve educational opportunities for marginalized students. If you have some insight about how, I'd love to know that. Partner with historically Black colleges. Foster the creation of memorials and research opportunities and curricular to honor the enslaved people and acknowledge, always, the university's ties to history. Are you started now? I mean, what is there a... Um, is the committee now dissolved and now the, the people who will actualize this, work, are they working? Yes, they are. We have started the implementation process first through the commitment of resources to do the work, as I mentioned. And uh, there is an implementation committee that has been established by university. It is headed by Martha Minow, who's a former dean of Harvard Law School and a scholar of great renown who does work precisely in this area of redressing injustice. And the purpose of that committee is to operationalize the, the, the recommendations that were set forth by the committee that I chaired. As you will see, if you take a look at the recommendations, they're both substantive, leading with a focus on uh, opportunity gaps in education, and that's because interventions there are proven by research to uh, spur social and economic mobility. There are other uh, substantive uh, commitments there, including to memorials, to supporting historically Black colleges through partnerships, uh, and yet um, the, the details about how to do all of that are left to this new committee. And I can tell you, because I'm still consulting around this work, that the details are, are being worked out as we speak by people who are deeply committed to redress. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Ruth Simmons, president of Prairie View A&M University, Tamika Brown-Nagan, dean of Harvard Radcliffe Institute, and Sven Beckert, history professor at Harvard. We're talking about Harvard and other universities' ties to slavery. Um, Ruth, I want to go back to you because I'm interested in hearing how you, from your vantage point of looking back now, you've, as I said, Brown has uh, been doing this work for more than 15 years. I note that at the 10th anniversary, you said you can't go back and redo history, but you can be responsible for what you do today. And I think it's important to connect what this work means today from all of you. I'd like to hear, you know, because I know there are people listening saying, okay, so we figured it out. So you have the evidence. Okay. But what does that have to do with right now? Well, and first of all, um, I always think of this in relationship to the really extraordinary role of universities and educational institutions. First of all, we are obligated as educators to be responsible for uncovering the facts and mostly for telling the truth. It's, it seems like such a simple thing, but um, perhaps it isn't after all, because sometimes truth exposes us 
in all of our flaws. And it gives us uh, insight into things that we've done that perhaps we will not have been proud of. But at the same time, we cannot be the purveyors of education um, if we are the most culpable in lying about what it is we do um, and in lying about our own histories. So to me, the single most important factor is starting today, we can be truthful uh, about who we are, what we are as institutions. And by doing that simple thing, uh, we can retain the credibility that we have as educational institutions. So why should people trust us to do what we purport to do if we are incapable of being transparent and incapable of facing up uh, to um, this history? So that's what we can start to do today. Tell the truth about who we are and what we have done in the past, and then move on from that. At the same time, I have always said that the purpose of these projects is never to keep scorn on, uh, on people, um, never to make people feel bad about um, uh, the, the past, but rather um, to help people feel responsible for the future and to show ways in which we can, as human beings, take control of what we can do today and then focus on moving forward. So this report very much focuses on moving forward. And I think that's the critical factor for all of us who are looking at the opportunity to deal with false narratives that have become so entrenched that we no longer understand what the truth is. How do you answer the questions, Van, of what does this have to do with today? We, we cannot undo this history. It is not going to go away. This history is going to be with us forevermore. And so, yes, I agree. We need to think about the future. Uh, the United States, as you know, has had a very difficult time coming to terms with the history of slavery. But I think the very fact that the, we have grappled with this history for such a long time again testifies to the centrality and to the importance of slavery in our nation's history, as Tamika mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, and I think one thing we can learn from these efforts by universities is that one way to start confronting this history is right here and at the place where we find ourselves. We can look at the institutions that we inhabit. We can start confronting the history of enslavement as a very local history. And we can then uh, uh, come to terms with how that made a difference to the, to the history of, of the nation. But, but this history in some ways is not history. This history is still with us to this day. The legacies of this history structure the nation to this day. It, it is about getting setting the record straight. It is about understanding uh, the past in more truthful ways. Uh, but but we do this because uh, because this is the basis on which hopefully we can also then build a better future. Same question to you, Tamiko. Sure. Slavery matters today because its legacies remain present and affecting the lives, livelihoods, and opportunities of descendant communities. Um, in terms of ongoing 
racial disparities in every sector that one can imagine in education, in healthcare, in the criminal legal system, um, in employment. Uh, and these relics uh, of slavery are continuing to mark individuals and communities and uh, make it very difficult indeed for members of these communities to, to achieve in the way and to have well-being in the manner that uh, our country uh, promises to its, its citizens. And in terms of the commitments that Harvard has made going forward, yes, we have told the truth. And at the same time, through our mission of service, research, and teaching going forward, we want this history to inform our endeavors, our activities, what we're teaching, how we think about ourselves, and our responsibilities as members of this community. So, Ruth, as long as the, the work has been going on at Brown, it's evolved some, meaning that it seems to me from what I've read that different issues come up. But one of the ones that was persistent at the beginning was the question of reparations. And you said at the outset when you started the work that that was not on your agenda, but you've explained what was. And now I've just read that there are some students after George Floyd's death who are now calling for reparations in light of Brown's history with slavery and what is contemporarily happening now. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I, I see it as being perfectly uh, natural and the kind of thing that we should be well accustomed to. Look, you know, I am so excited about the generations that have come after us. I, I love how sharp-eyed they are and how insightful they are and how critical they are of us. There are things that we are able to do in our time that may lack the direction uh, and the focus that those who come after us might want to see. But that's wonderful because they get a stab at it too. And what I'm always arguing is in our time, for those of us who hold responsibility for leading institutions and contributing to society, our job is to do our best in our time to move society forward in a way that is positive and that leads to further enhancements in the future. If somebody wants to come along later and try to enhance what we have done, why should we quibble with that? I don't quibble with it. Um, but I do think that you know the, the marvelous thing about both the Harvard process, really starting with Sven and, and on to um, Tomiko's uh, committee, the marvelous thing about the Brown process is that it was a process. And that is to say communities came to the conclusion that they needed to conduct investigations and to think seriously about what their obligation might be in the context of what they learn. Um, and that's what we are trying to model for the country at large. There are difficult issues that we are dealing with across the nation, across the world really. How do we manage in a complex environment to take hold of difficult issues and move them forward in a sensible way. That's what we're trying to model. So if generations come along afterwards at Brown and determine that 
we didn't do nearly enough, that's fine with me. I would add, however, when they come to me, I would say, be careful. You know, these kinds of uh, efforts need to be leavened with a sense of what will help to move things along rather than to revive old hostilities and to create sharper divisions among us. So I'm very interested in things that we can do that will enable us to do a good job of advancing rather than creating setbacks. So that's my only caveat. Tamiko, last question to you. Harvard has, prior to the release of this report, had begun as a result of, of Sven's work with the students to make some acknowledgments on campus, uh, changing the logo at the Harvard Law School, putting up some plaques around uh, the campus in acknowledgement of the ties to slavery. Last year, the president back out noted Juneteenth was an important observance, and Harvard celebrated that observance. These kinds of things that are already in motion. We should also say that there are about maybe 100 institutions that would include Harvard now who are working on these issues, higher education institutions. So I wonder what you think the power of acknowledgement on all of the students who come through, who are likely going to be leaders of this country in some way, happening at an institution like Harvard, like making this statement, obviously getting to the truth, doing the action, but just at its base, the power of acknowledgement of the relationship and the history. What might that be? It's a really important question and something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. I think acknowledging the history in such a public way and establishing an imposing memorial on campus so that all of the visitors to our campus, the students, the staff, faculty can literally confront uh, this, this marker of our history of our entanglement with slavery will be profound. It will root our conversations about diversity and inclusion um, in our institutions in history. Um, It will cause people, I hope, to think about um, their paths, their journeys, their responsibilities as members of the Harvard community uh, of of, institutions with influence and, and power in this country Um, as citizens, as workers, as leaders, it is my hope, Callie, um, that the public acknowledgement will spur uh, individual reflection and an individual sense of responsibility to contribute to solutions to this enduring uh, problem of racial division, racial disparity in our country, indeed in the world. Thank you all for joining me. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Ruth Simmons is president of Prairie View A&M University in Texas. Previously, Simmons served as president of Smith College in Massachusetts and of Brown University in Rhode Island, where she was the first black woman to preside over an Ivy League school. Tomiko Brown-Nagan is dean of Harvard Radcliffe Institute, professor of constitutional law at Harvard Law School, and professor of history at Harvard University. In 2019, she was appointed chair of the Presidential Committee on Harvard and the Legacy of Slavery. 
Sven Beckert is Laird Bell Professor of History at Harvard University and Presidential Committee member. Coming up, does July 8th hold any significance for you? It soon might. That's the day proposed to become a new Massachusetts holiday, Quack Walker Day. Quack Walker is the formerly enslaved man most directly responsible for abolishing slavery in Massachusetts back in 1783. Why his story is now coming to light. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.